verse 3, Proverbs 16, 3. In the Pew Bible, you will find that on page 640. Proverbs 16, 3. I'll tell you what, I love hot weather. Oh. It's about 10 degrees too low for me still. Just mm, almost there, people. We're almost there. This just fills me up with joy. I'm ready to preach. It's hot. That's right. Amen. All right. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. So for the past couple Sundays, uh, maybe a couple weeks now, we've been um, stitching together, suturing together a kind of laceration that is characteristic of our souls in the modern world. The modern world in which we live uh, has divided and sundered our lives into different compartments. Uh, I'm not the first to point this out, but uh, you know, the modern world very much compartmentalizes our lives. And so we have a public life and a private life. We have our work and school and science and business over here and our faith over here. There's a world we live in during the week and a different world with completely different people that we interact with on the weekends. And I think especially in the area of faith, we have been told repeatedly that our faith really does not belong in the public sphere. That, that faith, in a sense, has been downsized and privatized, and we've been told that, you know, that's something to keep to ourselves. And I think for a lot of us, we've even bought into that sort of modern downsizing and shrinking of faith. We've bought into this idea that, hey, you know, my faith is just really a personal, private kind of thing that's not meant to be shared with other people. Um, but as we've looked at Proverbs, what we see is that the God we worship, is He's Lord over all. He's Lord of heaven and earth. He's the creator of all things. He's not a God who fits into the tiny space of my personal, private soul. That He's the Lord of everything, and therefore everything is under His authority. And so, uh, the, as Christians in a modern world, we're called to stitch back together that which has been separated. That we're called to, to put together our work and our faith. Chris preached on that several Sundays ago. This calling to bring our faith to bear in very intentional ways on the work that we do. The last several Sundays we've been looking at the topic of money from a lot of different angles, those of you who've been here. And we've been looking at how God's uh, reality in our lives should affect the way we relate to money and finances. It's not like money's over here and God's over here and the, you know, the two shall never meet. They're very much connected. Well, this Sunday, as we look at Proverbs 16.3, I'd like to suture together another one of those divisions. And that is specifically the issue of decision-making, planning, how we choose what to do when we face the various crossroads of life. Uh, and again, this is something that our culture tells us has nothing to do with God. Our culture tells us, hey, it's your life. You know, follow your dreams. Follow your heart. Listen to your heart, right? That's the message. You've you got to decide what you want to do. Don't let anybody impose their values on you. Express yourself. It's your life. You know, and that's the kind of message that we hear. 
And yet as Christians, we're called to bring even our decisions about our personal lives under the authority of Christ and under the authority of God. And so it says in chapter 16, verse 3, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. We need to commit everything we do. Whatever you do, that's pretty all-inclusive. Whatever you do, commit it to the Lord. Now that word commit is an interesting little word in Hebrew. In Hebrew, it's the word for... It's most often used to describe rolling something. So if there's a big stone and they roll it from one place to another, that's the Hebrew word that's being used. So clearly here it's being used figuratively, and the idea is you're kind of rolling your plans onto God. You're sort of rolling them off yourself onto the Lord. And I think it's a really kind of evocative image because decision-making and planning and trying to figure our lives out can be a heavy burden. And so the idea that that God is inviting us to roll those decisions onto Him and trust Him is really a liberating kind of thing. You know, again, we're told, look, don't let anyone tell you what to do. Make up your own mind. It's your life. Uh, And there's this idea that we're a kind of autonomous self. That There's a God-like individualism that's been given to us that no one can violate. But, you know, that sounds really liberating. It's actually very crushing. You know, we as human beings were never meant to live autonomously from God. And when we try to do that in the name of freedom, we always end up in bondage instead. There's such a freedom. to And it doesn't necessarily make sense to our sinful minds, but there's such freedom in submitting to God and rolling our burdens off onto the Lord. So commit uh, your whatever you do to the Lord and your plans will succeed. Let's make this really personal and practical if we could. What decision or issue or plan are you facing right now that you're kind of wrestling with? I mean, let's all, before we go any further in the sermon, just kind of bring up in our video screen in our mind whatever it is that you're facing. I mean, we all got something. Come on. You're always cooking something. I mean, always. We're always like, God, I'd like to do this. I'd like to do that. What about this? Maybe it's a decision that has been foisted upon you by circumstances and you'd rather not have to face this decision, but there it is. Sometimes it's those kinds of crossroads. Maybe it's something to do with business or health or a relationship. Can you pull up something in your mind that, that you have to decide? And I want you to think about that. Because what Proverbs is telling us, whatever that is that you're facing or I'm facing, Proverbs is saying, commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. So the calling is to roll that off, to submit it to God, to not pretend that God is over here and my decisions are over here, but we bring all things under the authority of Christ and His Word. Maybe we can get a little more specific. What exactly does it mean to commit things to the Lord? I mean, I get the imagery of the rolling stone, of pushing that off to God, but practically speaking, what does that look like? Like when you walk out of here today back into the real world and you have to make decisions and deal with plans and dreams and schemes that you have, like practically speaking, what does it mean to commit things to God? I mean, how does that work? Does it mean that you just make your plans, take out your loans, start your businesses, ask the girl out, whatever the thing is, just do it, and then, you know, right before you, you execute, you just say a little prayer, and dear God, I commit this plan to you. Is that what it is? Just commit your plans to the Lord, just kind of do what you want to do anyway and sprinkle a little prayer over it to baptize it? Or is committing your plans to the Lord, do you go to the opposite extreme where you don't do anything unless you feel the leading of the Holy Spirit? 
Like, oh God, please tell me now. Should I wear the blue pumps or the black pumps? Heavenly Father, will it be Raisin Bran or Lucky Charms? I will not eat until you, Spirit, lead me. You know, it's like... And I mean, really, I, I, I mean, it sounds facetious, but there are some for whom Christianity is very much reduced to a kind of reading the tea leaves of our soul. That, that, Christ, that, that real Christianity is about sort of monitoring and tracking the slightest impressions and feelings and trying to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. So it becomes an almost sort of mystical, weird, almost pagan kind of thing. You know? And it's like, well, is that what it means to commit your way to the Lord? That you don't do anything until the Lord... So what is it? What does that mean? How do you commit your way to the Lord? So what I did to answer the question, the way I kind of approached it, was I said, well... I wanted to look at what Proverbs had to say. So what I did to answer that question was I read through Proverbs again. And I started gathering together every time I found a verse or a text on planning, advice, decision making. And then I wanted to see what Proverbs had to say, what it meant by commit your way to the Lord, rather than what I think or you think or what I experienced or what some other pastor says. So we began to look in Proverbs. And what I found as I was herding together and corralling all these texts and then I kind of sat and looked at them what I saw was that the texts sort of grouped themselves into three pretty clear clumps. That there are three sort of emphases within Proverbs running throughout the whole book that tell us what it means to commit our way to the Lord. That under the genus of commit your way to the Lord, there are three species, that, species of text that we can find in the book of Proverbs. So what I want to do uh, is simply walk us through and show you those three types of texts. And I think those texts sort of answer the question, how does one go about following God's will and committing our plans to Him? And not that necessarily every answer to that question is here, but I want to show you at least the three major ones in the book of Proverbs. Uh, So the first one is this. There are a group of Proverbs that communicate that to commit your way to the Lord means to submit your plans to God's moral law. That's number one. Submit your plans to God's moral law. In other words, we have to ask the question, what is the right thing to do? What is the wrong thing to do? And I need to do what God's law, God's word tells me is the right thing to do. I have to ask a moral question. Is what I'm doing righteous? Let me give you some examples. Let me show you some of the texts. Look at Proverbs chapter 12, verse 5. Let's go into the corral together and look at some of these, this species of text. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 5. It says, The plans of the righteous are just, but the advice of the wicked is deceitful. Notice that planning and advice are nested in the middle of talk of righteousness and justice. So there are righteous people who are seeking God's will and they're making certain kinds of plans. And there are other people who could care less what God has to say and they're making other types of plans. So this planning and thinking is very much a moral kind of activity. Uh, We see the same thing back in chapter 11, verse 27. And just look back a few verses. He who seeks good finds good will. But evil comes to him who searches for it. So in my planning and dreaming and scheming and choosing, am I seeking good or am I seeking sin and evil? What is it that I want? Where am I 
uh, goals taking me. Look at chapter 14, verse 22. Chapter 14, verse 22. Do not those who plot evil go astray, but those who plan what is good find love and faithfulness. Am I planning good or am I plotting evil? Or just one more, not to belabor the point, but I just want to show you. Look at chapter 24, verses 8 and 9. Just another for instance. Verse 8 and 9. He who plots evil will be known as a schemer. And the schemes of folly are sin. And men detest a mocker. So again and again, there's this question in Proverbs. The question is not, Will people like this plan? The question is not, is this plan the most lucrative plan? The question is not, uh, is this the most pragmatic, expedient thing to do? The question again and again in Proverbs is, is it the right thing to do? And if it's the right thing, then we need to do the right thing, even if that comes at personal cost. That the right thing to do is always the right thing to do. Now, how do we know what a right thing is or a wrong thing is in a world that has given up on any sense of absolute truth or morality, where we're told today this ridiculous idea that the morality is a very personally constructed thing, which is just so preposterous. I mean, take that to its logical conclusions. You know, society falls apart. So how do we know what right and wrong is? And the answer, of course, is we have to go to God's Word. So we continue to go back to God's Word to find out what right and wrong is. Therefore, when I'm making a plan, I'm trying to figure out what to do with my life, or I'm facing a crossroads, the first question to ask is, if I did that, would it be against God's Word? Let God's Word decide. You know, I don't care how in love you are with the person and how wonderful you think they are and how perfect you think they are for you. If you are a follower, committed believer in Jesus Christ and the other person that you want to marry is not then it is always wrong to marry that person. Because we're called to be bound to believers. That, that marriage is the binding of our deepest uh, spiritual nature. So you know, how, can you, how can you commit yourself to another person and, and make a choice that's going to bind you to someone who doesn't love the same Lord? It just doesn't make any sense. It's not biblical. And so you can know from Scripture in those kinds of choices. But it's not just the big decisions. It's also... Even the small things in life, if Scripture speaks to it, then as followers of Christ, we're called to submit ourselves to it. Um, you know, I was joking before about clothing, like the black pumps or the blue pumps. And, you know, I, I don't really think God cares whether you wear the blue sweater or the red sweater. I mean, I don't think it really matters. But there is teaching in Scripture on clothing. You know, there's some things the Bible says. You know, one of the things that, that I think some we need, I could probably preach a whole sermon on, is the whole issue of modesty. Scripture says a lot about modesty, you know. So next time you're at the clothing store trying to figure out what to wear and what to buy, I mean, have you ever thought about modesty as part of your Christian expression of faith? And I know that's really hard. I know what the styles are today. It's all about tight fitting and you know, and 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 you know, right? That's the style, okay? And it's like, oh, Jeremy, you're becoming a prude. Oh, you're becoming a Puritan or a fundamentalist. I mean, really? Or is it that we are so out of touch with God's Word and we're so in touch with what's in 
that God's word seems weird to us and the hip styles seem normal to us. Are we really that off kilter from God's word? So if God's word speaks to it, why don't we take it seriously and wrestle with what that might mean? Sometimes, though, the decisions we face aren't directly addressed in Scripture. Uh, So you have a new job opportunity. And you say, should I take that job or shouldn't I? And it's like, well, it's a, it's a banking job or something. I mean, is that, the Bible doesn't speak directly to it. I mean, if you're thinking about becoming an assassin, okay, you can probably find that outlawed in Scripture, okay? You know, thou shalt not murder. But, okay, short of becoming an assassin or a drug pusher, if you're trying to figure out what to do with your life and there's a job opportunity, now, what about those situations where Scripture doesn't seem to directly address it? Um, And I think one answer to that question is we have to let Scripture not only assess the plan, but also our motives. A lot of times, that's a big thing. It's like, what are my motives? Why do I want to do this? And sometimes that's where I find guidance is you've got to let the the, the Bible do that spiritual MRI scan of your soul. You know, you read the Bible, and then you find out the Bible's reading you. Mm, Scanning you, like, whoo, I think I just felt something when I was reading that. That's spooky. And but that's the Holy Spirit using the Word of God, testing my secret motives. People, we are so adept at deceiving ourselves. We're so good at justifying our behavior. We're so good at rationalizing to ourselves and to others why we're doing what we're doing. And that's why we need the piercing purity of God's Word to scan our hearts. And we need to open the Scripture and say, God, search me. Test my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting, as it says in Psalm 139. We need God's Word to scan our motives biblically. Why do I want this new position? Yeah, okay, it pays 30% more. That's great. And there's, it's, it's a new, a lot more responsibility. But could it be that part of the reason I want it is because my ego, my pride, that that new position looks good because, boy, I feel successful and I have a thing about needing to be successful. You know, what is it that's really motivating me? And if this new position is going to require 15 to 20 more hours a week and tons more travel, what about my family? What about, you know, so I think all those kinds of things have to be weighed in. There's a couple uh, in the church. They told me I could tell you the story. I asked for permission. Uh, and they're facing a decision like that right now that I thought I'd share with you. It's really interesting. Um, this couple, just to give you some background, uh, they were both working before they had kids. They bought a house. They bought, you know, the house. Everyone has that house. They're like, That's, if I could have that house. They bought that house for them. And they're so happy. And then uh, God blessed them with a child. And she took maternity leave. And then when the maternity leave was over, she started saying, you know, I, I don't know if I really want to go back to work. I, I feel like I need to be here with this child. But the reason they were living in that house is because they had two incomes. So they wrestled with it, prayed about it, talked about it, back and forth. And finally, they came down they realized it was going to be one of two things. Either they had to increase the amount of income by her working or him working extra hours or something, or they had to decrease the amount of house. <laughs> it had to be one or the other. And that's, that's a tough decision. How do you make those decisions? And what does the Bible have to do with that? Well, I think it certainly assesses our motives. I can't speak to how a woman would view that situation. I know how a guy would view it. You know, men don't downsize. You know? (laughs) Downsize? That's for losers. That means you lost. Right? If you're selling a 28-foot boat, it's because you're getting a 35-foot boat. 
It's very simple. Guys don't move from 38-inch TV to 28-inch TV. We just don't do that. And, and there's this whole provider thing, and I know men and women are supposed to be all equal and all that today, but look, it doesn't change the fact that men feel the need to provide. That's just how we're wired up. You can't PC that away. And so we feel this need. We want to provide. And so if I'm downsizing my house, I'm not providing. I'm failing. I'm not succeeding. And there's all this kind That's how our minds work as men. So, you know, to then take all of that going on inside of you and submit it to God and say, God, what if this is godly? What if this is righteous? And to see that God isn't calling me in Scripture to be a financial superstar that all God's calling me to be is faithful to my wife and faithful to my children. And so they wrestled and wrestled and they finally decided they're going to sell their house and downsize. And uh, I was like, that's so unheard of today. (laughs) To intentionally choose to downsize just to be able to spend more time with with your wife and kids. I mean, that's amazing. So I I just found that really encouraging and kind of countercultural. It goes against what the guys are supposed to do. It goes against what our culture tells the women she's supposed to do. What do you mean? You can't give up your career. You've got to have a child and a career and a home. You can have it all. You're liberated. I am woman. Hear me roar. You know, all that. And that's what the culture says. And you women hear that message. And, And, you know, what are all these male and female messages we're hearing from the culture? I think we have to go back to God's Word and say, Lord... Cleanse my thinking. Show me what you say is important in your word. And then decide accordingly. And so are our motives, are our plans according to Scripture? That's a very challenging question. I don't want to oversimplify that and make it seem like it's easy just to spit out proof texts and it's simple. It's very difficult sometimes to make those decisions. Um, but we need to. You know, we've crunched the numbers and we crunched the Scriptures. We've done the same kind of work in our planning of thinking biblically. And that's I think, leads me to the second sort of group of texts in Proverbs that we need help in doing the first group. And, and the second group of Proverbs tell us that to commit our ways to God means to seek godly advice, to help us think through how to apply the Scriptures. So what does it mean to commit your way to the Lord? From what I see in Proverbs, it means, first of all, that we try to do what is righteous and according to God's Word. Second, that we submit our plans to other Christians for them to look at, which is kind of risky because a lot of us, were frankly, independent. We don't do that. We're New Englanders. We can handle it. I'm fine, you know. And I don't go to other people and open up my life and say, I don't know what to do. You know, we don't like to admit that to each other. I don't know what to do. And would you look at this? But what we see in Proverbs is that the wise, godly, discerning, successful person is a person who humbles themselves before others enough to ask for advice. Now look at chapter 12. We just run you through a few texts. I want you to see this second species of text. Chapter 12, verse 15. says, the way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. So fools, and they know it all. They don't need advice. They're in control. They have it under control. They're fine. Don't need any help. But a wise person listens to advice. Or look at chapter uh, 15, verse 22. Chapter 15, verse 22 says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors 
they succeed. So we need to open our hearts up to many people. Hmm. I was having trouble with just one. Now it's many. Okay. And not just any advisors. It's got to be the right ones. Look at chapter 17, verse 4. Chapter 17, verse 4 says, A wicked man listens to evil lips. A liar pays attention to a malicious tongue. So we've got to make sure we pick the right people to listen to. Godly people who are also seeking God's will. Or just one more. There's a lot more, but I just want to pick a few representative texts. Look at chapter 20, verse 18. There's a whole group of texts on this, seeking advice in Proverbs. 2018 says, Make plans by seeking advice. If you wage war, obtain guidance. Brothers and sisters, the Christian life is a constant war. Following Christ is a battle. It is constant. And how are we going to live? How are we going to wage this war? How are we going to succeed in the Christian life? We need each other. And so God has given us His people. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, He didn't merely die to save you personally from hell. He died to save a people for Himself. An elect people He died for. And so there's a people that God has gathered together, and those people then manifest themselves in local congregations. So if we, if we want to access the wisdom of God, I believe part of that is being a part of the body of Christ where God's spirit and God's uh, ministers and God's gifts are operating in the local church is to seek the wisdom of the body. Uh, and again, that's difficult for a lot of us because we're kind of lone rangers. I, I put myself in this category. I'm definitely one of those kind of self-starter people. You know when they do projects at school where they make you work with a group to do the project? Try me nuts. Like, like, look, I'll just do it, okay? Let me do it, and we'll get an A. And the rest, you can just sit over there. I'll do it. So this whole idea of, like, opening my plans and my life up to you to get input from you is just kind of scary to me. But this is what God calls us to do, to live in community with one another. That following Jesus and discipleship is very much a team activity. But again, we don't think that way. We're very individualistic so often. And, and here's what happens. It, it's that we're, we're in the church, but we're not really of the church. You heard that phrase, be in the world but not of the world? Some of us, unfortunately, apply to the church and we're in the church, but we're not of the church. Yeah, we're here but we're not really connected to anybody. We don't. We have never really opened our lives to another person, whether it's in a Bible study or just a, a prayer partner or anything. We just kind of are in the church and we come in. But rather than being grapes on a vine, we're more like marbles in a box, all just kind of rolling around, disconnected, in the church, and then we're out. But we're not of the church. And so what happens is we kind of, you know, we're fine, and then we face a major life decision. We don't ask anyone's help because we're fine and we know what we're doing. And then we, we go through these life decisions, and then things don't work out. We didn't seek advice, and then we fall into difficulty. And then we, hardship comes upon us, and then we feel all alone, and we're going, what's happened? You know, then we look around, and we say, where's the church to help me? <laughs> like, what? who? You didn't, you didn't include the church. We, they're way back here. They're waiting for you to be connected in. Man, there's so much wisdom in local congregations. Take your, any gospel church where the Bible is faithfully taught and people love the Lord. There's so much wisdom in those churches. Even in small churches, there's wisdom to be had. 
and, and I know this is going to be hard to believe, it doesn't all reside in the pastor. I know. That's hard to believe. There's so much wisdom in the body of Christ. Whatever you're wrestling with right now, there's a good chance that there are other people in this congregation who love the Lord who have been down the same path. I almost guarantee it. I don't care what it is. Job challenges. Thinking about starting a business. Uh, taking on a new career opportunity. Buying or selling property. Dealing with aging parents. Infertility. Dealing with wayward children. Wrestling with certain sins. Maybe you're wrestling with addiction. Oh, there's no one here in this nice Hingham church who's ever... Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's amazing. Maybe you're wrestling with, you know, you're a Christian, but you're wrestling with homosexual desires. You're like, I can't tell anyone that. You'd be surprised. We need to encourage each other. You know, or, or I'm, I'm thinking about uh, going into the ministry. I have this calling in my heart. What do I do with that? Man, there's people here who've wrestled with all of those things, but you can't access it if you're just a marble in the box bouncing around. That's the scary thing. So we have to learn how to be a church, and I'm preaching to myself here, to open myself up to others and say, you know, this is something I need guidance and advice on in my life. <clears throat> so what are your plans you're wrestling with? Commit them to the Lord. That means, first of all, crunch the Scriptures. Find out if how the Bible addresses your issue. If you're really still not sure how the Bible addresses it, keep searching. Number two, Submit your plans to other believers. Be willing to come to others as believers and say, I don't know what to do. What do you think? And see where the wisdom lies and see where they might point you. And then the third group of texts, and I'll close with this one, is we not only need to submit to God's Word and God's people, but ultimately I think we have to submit our plans to God's providence, to His providence. In other words, at the end of the day, after we have searched the Scriptures prayerfully, after we have sought the counsel of others and thought about it and prayed about it, even then when we finally have that plan in our hand, we must hold it openly, recognizing that at the end of the day, God is still sovereign. And even though it makes total sense to us, God may still do something completely unexpected and possibly even vexing to us. He's the sovereign Lord. Look at some texts with me. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21. Proverbs 19:21. Many, many are the plans in a man's heart. You got all kinds of plans and ideas. We all do. But it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Any questions on that? <laughs> there it is. Look at chapter 21, verse 30. Actually, there's a lot in 21. Look at 21.1. Chapter 21, verse 1. One of my very favorite Proverbs. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. God is sovereign even over our secret parts, our hearts. Chapter 21, verse 30. There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. Verse 31, The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. We can make all our plans. We can, they can be wise plans, godly plans, good plans, like Chris was reading earlier in the book of Acts. Paul and his buddies were like, let's go preach the gospel in this area. That made perfect sense. But God in His strange sovereignty said no. And they're like, no? 
You don't want us to go preach the gospel to those people? I mean, what gives? God had another plan. He's sovereign. You know, God, why is this happening to me? I thought I did the right thing. I thought I was obeying the Scriptures. I thought I had good input. I prayed. I, I thought the Holy Spirit was leading me to this path. And then something else happened. Why is this happening? And so we stand like Job. Why? Explain this. Come down here, God. I, I want a court date with you, is what God, Job said. I want to question you about why this is happening when I have done everything right that I think I'm supposed to do. Why didn't it work out? Lord, 15 years ago, this is not where I envisioned my life being. This is not what I planned. I've tried to honor you. Why is it this way? And the answer is, He's sovereign. He's sovereign. And He brings us to those places of utter dependence and humility upon Him. And that at the end of the day, we, we humble ourselves before His Lordship. And He says, look, end of the day, you've got to trust Me. You've got to trust Me. And sometimes He even knocks our good plans away so that we have nothing left to trust in, not even our plans except Him. But should this really surprise us, we who are the people of the cross? Isn't this how God works? We think of the cross. That wasn't in the disciples' plan. <laughs> They're like, what? The cross? No, 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 Jesus. Messiah. This is how it works, Jesus. You go to Jerusalem. You sit on the throne. We rise up and destroy the Romans. And then that's how the Messiah thing works. And instead, the Messiah goes to the cross. And their plan, their mental framework of how it was supposed to go was utterly thrown into ruin. And they despaired. And they ran and hid and wept. They, they just, their world collapsed around them. And yet, at that moment when it seemed that the plan of God, from our perspective, was most utterly thrown into ruin, was actually the moment when the great victory, the linchpin in all of God's plans was being accomplished. But they couldn't see it. That on that moment when it seemed all was lost was when all was gained. That when Christ was crucified, it was actually the victory over sin in the mysterious, bizarre plans of God. Oh, the, the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of the world. God's ways are so unfathomable. And so are we really the people of the cross? Are, are we really surprised when God does mysterious things and out of them brings great triumph and blessing and victory for our lives? Are we really surprised? So, brothers and sisters, let us humble ourselves before our God. Let us seek His Word, seek His wisdom, and at the end of the day, seek His sovereignty. And even the plans we have, let us hold them with an open hand so that it will be clear that our trust is not even in the plans themselves, but ultimately we trust in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we just quiet ourselves before you.
You are the King. We love you, and we just want to tell you we trust you. God, we believe. Help our unbelief. And God, we pray that we would humble our lives before you, that we would not segment ourselves off, but that, God, we would submit our thinking to your word, that we would submit our lives to the fellowship of the local church,